Welcome to Other You, a podcast where we discuss a decision in our lives that may or may not have had a long-lasting impact. We unpack some of the factors behind it and then explore in short story form what the other version of ourselves might have experienced around that time or shortly thereafter. I'm your host, Dee. Let's see where this story takes us. Welcome back to the show. Again, I am your host, Dee. Today on Other You, with me I have a guest who is a writer with credits such as Dead Dog, Arcana Comics, the comic for NBC's Heroes, as well as concept work for music videos and commercials. He is also a wicked creative DM for a couple of different campaigns, one of which I get to participate in, which is really exciting. Uh, please welcome to the show, R.D. Hall. Welcome. Hi. Hi. I always feel like there needs to be like uh, a live studio audience behind that to <laughs> pump up the right. hype right when I finish. <laughs> <laughs> So just in, just in like my head. laugh tracks. Yeah. In like my head, laugh track, you took a canned one. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, so excited. Uh, but I'm, I'm really happy to have you on the show. I really am. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Cool. So how have you been? How, how has life been for you lately? Uh, just living the uh, quarantine age dream. Oh, they do come true from what I hear. I do. Yeah, I hear this. <laughs> yeah. How has um, adjusting to life uh, in quarantine been for you? Really, for what I do, I mean, as a writer, it's great. I mean, I, I can stay home a lot more. I can get a lot of things done, or I thought I could. Mm-hmm. And then I find out that all these other things start to happen. And there's a lot more uh, responsibilities that replace the ones you used to have, mm-hmm. which is things like, you know, taking the kids back and forth to school and, right. and projects that they're working on. So now it's, you know, um, being their secretary and setting up, you know, <laughs> their day and saying, you know, well, this teacher wants to meet with you about this. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I recently saw a meme on social media about that. Was it you that posted it? it it's possible. About, yeah. <laughs> it was about going from, you know, being a parent to being their kid's secretary, you know, we're like, okay, you have a zoom at this time and this time, and you're going to zoom at grandma at three and like, Ooh, could you move grandma's zoom to like noon and then make me a, make sure I have a snack for that sort of thing. Oh yeah. It really feels like that. <laughs> and you know, with the music video stuff, we were usually out more and we were actually, you know, interacting with people mm-hmm. and uh, like we did one for uh Christian Bush who was in the band, um, uh, Sugarland. Oh, cool. And uh, it was it was called um, Trailer Hitch, and it was about you know uh, you never see a hearse with a trailer hitch. So it you know it's kind of one of those simple kind of mm-hmm. concepts, but we turned it into a zombie video. Oh, nice! And we got Bob Kurtzman, uh, video uh, or a makeup artist, and he directed uh, Wishmaster back in the eighties. Oh 80s. my gosh, Wishmaster! Yeah. yeah. So he did all the zombie makeup and stuff for that one. But, you know, you're out more and you get to do things. But now with quarantine, it's just sending pitches and. Right. You just sit back. Finding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, as an actor doing and I've mentioned this a couple of times on the show. So if you're listening, you might have heard me say this. Uh, but the, the change of going on auditions to exclusively self-taping everything, you know, mm-hmm. has really. I mean, it's, it's changed the way that I approach things. Um, because for me, part of my process was I would start my getting familiar with the lines and whatever decisions I was making about the character, uh, and then solidify that on my 
way to the audition, right? That was part of it. Whether I was riding right. a bike or taking the train or whatever, it would give me time. I would do it so that I had like an hour before and that's when I would just like nail it down. But now I'm just like, well, fuck, I'm just, I'm going to start whenever I start and it's, it doesn't hit the same, you know? Yeah. So I noticed with pitches uh, and this is one thing that's made it easier to live in Kentucky mm-hmm. and be pitching Hollywood stuff is it's now, you know, via video so I can sort of overproduce it and make it, you know, whereas I always sure. felt uh, like even with, with something like this, uh, I always worry about prep because, you know, I, I do suffer from ADHD and mm-hmm. sometimes it takes a little longer to process something when I have time to produce it and set it up. It, it always comes off better, you wow. know? Yeah. I'm glad you're, you're able to get some silver lining out of it. Cause uh, I feel like for a lot of the time I feel it was like bored mm-hmm. and I, I don't ever want to equate it to like being on house arrest or prison or anything like that. Cause I mean, I'm, it is as comfortable as I can make it, you know? Right. Um, it's just the man. I never thought I would say I miss going to work. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Being able to work from home is great, but I miss being like leaving the house to go to work so that I could leave work at work you know, and come back home and, ah, oh, this is my play and rest area, you know? Right. And I think, you know, it's kind of the hedonic adaptation to where like at first it was like, yeah, I get to stay home all the time. And now it's like, oh, I have to stay home all the, all time. the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it'll be the same thing once we go back to, you know, yeah. to work and go, it'll be, oh, this is great. I could do this again. And it's like, man, I wish... I miss being yeah. home all I'm so time. angry with myself for being a whiny little baby about being at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, cool beans. All right. So without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, let's dive into the decision. Um, RD, hit me with the decision, the time in your life where something happened and you have seen the effects ever since. Uh, well, we we kind of talked about this uh, a little bit before, mm-hmm. and I, I had a couple of ideas. And okay. uh, one of the major ones uh, for me mm-hmm. was finding out late in life that I did indeed have adult ADHD. And it turns out I've had it all my life. I mean, it's just one of – you don't just get it. If you right. have adult ADHD, you've had it forever. Right. And um, – making that decision, uh, explained a lot of things in my life as far as, um, Mm -hmm. why I was floundering in certain parts of my career Mm -hmm. uh, and how, how, um, you know, I couldn't always do the sort of normal day jobs. A lot of people would do. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have that bandwidth. Yeah. And, um, so, so that was one of the ones we thought about. And then, you Mm -hmm. know, it's kind of, I guess that's more my decision. Whereas, you know, like when I was younger, I didn't really have the choice to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but possibly when um, I was younger, if I had started taking the meds uh, earlier in life, mm-hmm. I could be a completely different person. Right. So a part of your discovery that you had adult ADHD uh, came with prescriptions and medication that has helped you? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. And you said... Um, so for those of you listening, um, in, in the, the prep call for the episode where we were discussing life events, um, we were talking a bit about this particular, um, 
this thing that happened in his life where he went and uh, got checked. So when we make mention of, oh, we talked about this before, you, you haven't missed it. Uh, it was prior to this, uh, just so you guys are aware. Um, but uh, to to reiterate this, you, uh, you you made a choice to go see a doctor to get diagnosed, right? Yes. Uh, and yes. about when was that? I was uh, about 39, <laughs> 38. Okay, so 38, 39. Okay. Yeah. And I'm 46 now. Okay, so seven, eight years ago? Yeah. And then what made you decide to go get checked out? Um, I noticed my kids having the same trouble. And, and they say a lot of parents find this stuff out later. Um, mm-hmm. my kids were having trouble with ADHD. And in fact, all of them are diagnosed, I have four kids and they're all diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, wow. Uh, my wife also has ADHD. So I, I know there's a good story in there. If I'm ever <laughs> brave enough to tell it yeah. about living in a family of six with a, all of us having ADHD. Wow. Uh, it's, it's a wild ride. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But when I found out, uh, it was, Okay, so my son was struggling with, you know, uh, attention, and we went and he was diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, you know, I definitely knew I had a lot of anxieties. Mm-hmm. I um, was very frustrated with projects very easily. And it took, I think the straw that broke the camel's back was when I noticed I could not get interested in the things I enjoyed doing like gaming mm. and other hobbies. I, when you find that you don't have the dopamine to do the things you love, even, mm-hmm. you know, it's either, you know, a lot of times it can be depression or it can be ADHD. And I noticed it was just everything. There was nothing I really wanted to do. I just couldn't concentrate long enough to do those things mm-hmm. unless and this is the point where hyper-focus comes in with ADHD. Sometimes I would find one thing and that's all I could think about. Mm. It's all I could think about to the point of ignoring everything else. And mm. that's a symptom of ADHD, you know, hyper-focus. And all these things started to come together. So I started reading the books, started finding uh, books by... Uh, a man named Dr. Hallowell. And uh, it's called Driven from Distraction. And that was the one book that made me think, yeah, I've got ADHD and I need to do something about it. Hmm. And the quickest and honestly safest way way to go to start with is to try medication. Mm -hmm. For most people, you know, as long as you don't have any underlying issues, it's a good thing to start with. Right. You don't have to keep doing it. Um, it's worked for me. Some people try it and they don't, you know, they go with other methods, but it was just the quickest. It was like turning on a light switch. It was like sitting in a dark room my whole life. And then all of a sudden when I took it, a light switch went on and my mind quieted because all these, um, there's great things about having ADHD. It's not a disability. It's a difference, Mm -hmm. but it definitely helps to quiet your mind sometimes. And I've done a lot more with meditation even over the past year and a half. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 
it's definitely something to look, you know, if you think you have ADHD to, you know, at least explore every option that you have. And Mm -hmm. I did that and I am better for it. I think by, you know, learning ways to uh, calm my mind. Great. How old was your son when you had him, uh, when he was diagnosed? That would be 13 now. So I guess he was about six or seven. Six or seven. Is this the baby? Yeah. Like, uh, no, this is uh, the second young. Or, okay. Uh, this is uh, my youngest son. I have two boys and two girls. Gotcha. It goes boy, girl, boy, girl, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is your your second youngest. So uh, uh, once he was diagnosed, that was uh, about the time that you went to get diagnosed? Yes. Yes. Okay. So he was first and then you came later. Okay. And yeah. Actually the seven. others like Holden, we thought Holden had anxiety and that's what they did at first because honestly, this is a interesting thing. I was a little scared of medication at first. Sure. I didn't know, you know, what it would do, how would, you know, if it would affect me, uh, make me, you know, less creative. That was a scary part. Mm. But uh, my dad around that time had had a uh, a tumor on his kidney and he had his kidney removed and he was in the hospital mm-hmm. and he said, yeah, I'm in a lot of pain, but I don't want to take anything. And that was the moment when I and I looked at him and I said, you're in pain. You should take something. Yeah. And it kind of flipped a switch in my head. Well, wait, I'm in pain, too. I should probably do something about this. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. OK. So you were, you were getting it from multiple angles. Like, Hey man, hopefully you're listening. Like the universe is calling out to you. Like hey, right, here yes. are all the different ways, please get on this. And then like you're taking hints from all these directions. You were like, okay, let's do it. And luckily for you, it's, it's, you've had a positive change in your life from the time that right. you were diagnosed to the, the efforts you have taken to address it, to, you know, interact with it on a more educated and intentional level, dealing with it like with medication, with meditating and things like that. Yeah. And that was the thing about it. It it wasn't like I was in enough, you know, because, you know, mental health issues for everyone are different. And there are Mm -hmm. some things that cause a lot of pain. And there's some things that are, you know, you just want to take care of because it, it affects the way you, you know, interact with other people. And, and with me, the ADHD was just kind of a thing is I lived with it all this time. And I thought, well, this is just, and it is, it is who I am, but I thought that I had, I had to live the, my life the way I've lived it for, you know, the, the past 37 years, because mm-hmm. that's just the way it, it was. Right. And like you said, it was almost like, you know, the universe or whatever was calling out and saying, you don't have to do this. You don't yeah. have to live this way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, um, had you ever been, if we're going to consider this from a, the decision you made uh, at 37, 38 to go get diagnosed. If we change that to as a child being diagnosed and what life might be like, had you been able to address it then? Um, did you, were, were your parents ever concerned about your hyperactivity as a kid or did they just chalk it up to, Oh, he's a boy, boys, just being boys doing silly things and being distracted. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from uh, a small town in um, 
the Appalachian Mountains um, okay. in eastern Kentucky. And uh, it's, it's still a problem now, I think, but mental health was always a, uh, a strange thing to talk about back there. If you had a mental health issue, it was almost if you were, or you were damaged. Yeah. And, you know, you, you couldn't get away from that. And uh, I mean, that, that's untrue and it, mm. it doesn't work. But it still pervades in the culture now. Mm-hmm. And I think things are changing. They're getting better. But, you know, at that time, this was also when ADHD was um, just starting to get talked about in, you know, the larger cities and, you know, parts of the country. Mm-hmm. So it was even, you know, there are people very skeptical about it. And, you know, they, People did, you know, tell my parents that uh, I was hap- hyperactive and, you know, there was times that, you know, I wouldn't pay attention in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also in kindergarten, uh, they gave everyone IQ test. Mm-hmm. I uh, apparently killed it. Uh, it was it was high. It was very high. Mm-hmm. And it was always, oh, well, and my parents told me that I scored really high on this. And, you know, I was, I was very intelligent. So in my mind, this was the interesting thing that was happening all the time. Mm-hmm. If I am so smart, why am I doing so poorly? Why yeah. can I not, you know, make these great grades if I'm as smart as they say I am? Right. And I, I, it sounds like a humble brag, but it's just it's just the way it works. Oh. They told me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I get but, that. Yeah. So. If I'm, that was the really bad part about it is if I'm this smart, why can't I get these concepts? Why can't I understand these things? And a lot of times I did, uh, I had trouble with math because I could never show the work. Mm-hmm. I could get the answer, mm-hmm. but I couldn't explain how I got the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, sometimes it was, well, did, did you copy this from someone else? It's like, no. And they give me another problem and I'd sit there and I would write some things down, like some numbers, and it made no sense. This is probably, you know, I love it when all the people complain about common core math. Right. I'm like, if you have any idea the way I do a math problem, right? you would run back to it. Yeah. You'd go, oh, it's great. It's great. Because <laughs> it looked like I had these numbers, and they looked like they were walking along with each other and stumbling over one another. And it's just, you know, the teacher would look at me, and she would say, what does this mean? Yeah. And I would say, well, here's how I got it. Yeah. And they would kind of get it. but <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I, I totally understand that. I, I feel like being branded a highly intelligent child, especially by your parents, uh, kind of sets these crazy expectations that are really high, um, especially if you're not, um, if you don't do well, you don't score high on tests because of diligence instead of, you know, just crazy high aptitude as a very young mm-hmm. kid, uh, because it doesn't, it, that means that you haven't spent the time, um, creating the discipline inside you to get to that point. It's just this natural, Oh, I get it. I see it. I get it. My brain f- finds it for me. Cause like I had the same issue with, with math where I was, I would always test really well because I could see the problem. And in my brain, it would just say, this is the answer. And like doing the work I felt was boring because I was like, no, I already have the answer. I don't have to find it. You know, I, I like I'm able to figure it out. I I don't have to find it. So I don't want to have to go through and list all the ways that you're, that you're saying, but I, I also suffered from 
uh, I hated going over things more than once. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's like you tell me, oh, cool, I got it. What's next? I don't want to spend two weeks figuring out long division. I got it like in the first few minutes. Can we please move on? You know, so I like I was also branded this really smart kid, but I did poorly like in class because I didn't do work because I was it was boring. You know, right. Homework was <clears throat> I mean, I always did well in tests, but homework. I never did my homework. Yeah, why would I do my homework? We already studied it in class. I got it. I'm not going to do yeah. this at home, too. I'm going to go play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I I, so I, totally... I have the Legend of Zelda to finish right yes. now. I can't do this homework. Yeah. I don't got time for this homework. I got stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I totally, I totally understand that. Um. So if that's the case, uh, what was, what was, let's, let's pick an age between like 10 and 15. Um, mm-hmm. What was family life like for you then? You have any siblings, your parents, were they together? Uh, yes. Um, my sister was born when I was eight years old. So there's eight years between us. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, my parents were trying to have another kid and, and then finally you know, eight years later they did. So right. like it was a, she, we're really close now, but you know, when, when you're eight years old till, you know, I was 18, most of the time it was, like, oh, that's my annoying little sister. Right. <laughs> Yeah, she used to take the uh, me and my friends would be playing video games in my room and she would take the vacuum hose and slide it under the door and like yell through it and be like, hello, RD. (laughs) That's great. Just just to talk to you or because she like wanted you to get like go hang out with her. Just to talk to me or just, yeah, to get me to hang out with her. And that's so funny. uh, It's. It, it was weird. It was, you know, when you have someone that's eight years younger with than you, it was hard to have something in common, but now we have so much in common. Right. Um, wow. That's great. Oh man. The thought of the things that kids do and they put their mouths on, I could tell you at least a hundred times I put my mouth on the hose of the vacuum, but yeah. now I'm like, Oh, what the hell are you doing child? No. Oh, and if you drop, you know, if I was to drop a box of like nerds on the floor when I was a kid or whatever, mm-hmm. I would have swept them all up with my hand and ate them. Yeah. Now I'd be like, oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bound for the garbage, are you? Oh, you had a good <laughs> run. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. So one kid sister. Uh, and then, yes, your parents were together at yes. that time. Cool. Together. All righty. Um, let's, let's see what, um, you, you mentioned playing games. Uh, what were, was video gaming your, your biggest hobby at that time? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, that was right around the time that the, uh, first NES came out and it changed everything for, you know, did you have an Atari before that or? I did. I was very young when I, it was more like my, my dad's at, at that time, because I was pretty young when the Atari came out. Right. Okay. And I did get an Atari uh, or the Sears version, the 5200 or something like Ooh. that, but it played all the old uh, right. 2600 games. But yeah, I had that, but it was just kind of, it wasn't as cool as going to the arcade. Cause we actually had an arcade at that time. Oh man. And yeah. So it was the, you know, going to the arcade, the whole stranger thing sort of uh, mm-hmm. uh, childhood. Oh, yeah. That's magic. 
and it didn't compare. But when the NES came out, it compared. It was like just like playing in an arcade. So mm-hmm. my friend got it first, uh, my friend David, and we stayed up all night and we got to 8-4, the final level on Super Mario Brothers. Oh, and then man. two weeks later, we finally beat it. Nice. Oh, that's amazing. That feels so good. The first time you beat a game that you're like really really struggling with you're like oh man i have to get this it like everything feels brand new all the sounds and everything is just magic and then you finally beat it one thing that i dealt with if ever i beat a game was i miss this i know i'll just start over from the from the beginning (laughs) you know i had that experience with um reading the Lord of the Rings, I felt mm. so sad when it was over. Mm-hmm. Like when I read that last page, I felt like I lost all those friends. Yeah. It's, mm. you know, it's such a long tome. Yeah. And you know, all three books and then you, you have to leave these characters behind and it's actually, it, you mourn a little bit. Yeah. You mourn for them. Yeah. Even to this day, I struggle with uh, finishing books. I have at least 10 that I can see on my bookshelf here where I'm like <laughs> one to two chapters from being done. But if I don't finish it, then I know I can always go back and it, it they'll still be there, you know. But oh, yeah. Yeah. I 100 percent even still deal with that. That's so funny. So also with the gaming, I was just thinking about this, too. I told my son and he was uh, just in awe that I kind of created, at least in my mind, the first kind of let's plays. Mm. because I was the first in my town to beat Mike Tyson in Mike Tyson's punch out. Nice. And no one believed me. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, so did I you, hooked my NES up me. to a VHS player, recorded yes. it and took it to school during recess. All of the guys stayed in the, like in the room and watched me beat Mike Tyson. I'm like, see, and after that, everybody could do it because they watched me do it. Just figured out how. So then there was uh. another game like that. And they're like, oh, would you got, would you record that? So it was Castlevania. And okay. everybody wanted to beat the Grim Reaper. And they said, would you record that and bring it to school? I'm like, yeah, sure. That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> pioneer. The pioneer right? of Let's Plays. That's amazing. I love it. To be honest, if, if there's a game that I'm considering, uh, I don't like, I don't even bother with trailers anymore. I just find a Let's Play. And that yeah. tells me, <laughs> you know, just like, oh, first 20 minutes of gameplay. I'm like, cool. This is perfect. What, what am I getting into? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. All right. So punch out Mario. Give me your give me your top five favorite video games from the NES. From the you, NES? Yeah. So it would be um, Legend of Zelda. Okay. There was a game called Rygar. Oh, yeah. I remember. Rygar. Yeah. Uh, Metal Gear. Ooh, okay. Uh, then there was Punch Out because it was just so memorable and I played it so many times. Oh, yeah. Soda Pop is my favorite. He's my favorite character oh, yeah. in the whole game. And then uh, it would be Super Mario Brothers 3. 3. That's the best one. Yeah, definitely. That's the best one. I mean, I remember there was one time um, my parents had a like um, like a, a get-together and we had mm-hmm. the TV like right in the middle of the uh, of the house, right? Right in the center. And I was like, hey, do you guys mind if I play? And she's like, oh, no, it's going to be like a, a, an adult get together. And so there's going to be no one for you to hang out with. Why don't you go ahead and play? So I started playing Super Mario Brothers 3, sat down in the middle. And I'd like from start to finish, stage by stage, I didn't use any whistles, nothing. I'm going. And by the end, I had 
like a crowd of my p- parents, friends watching, cheering me on. I'm like, let's go, little buddy. You could do it. <laughs> Played it from start to finish. It took like six hours taking it slow and just going through every single stage and talking to people in between. But I, I did it. I did it. Oh, that's great. I love that game. I love that game. That's, <laughs> that's so much fun. Good memories. Um, what music were you into at that time? And so if I'm doing the math right, uh, this is going to be like 86 to 91 ish. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I was into a lot of, uh, like hair metal, hair like, metal, uh, it. yeah. Like, uh, rat, um, guns and roses, mm-hmm. guns and roses was the best at that time, man. They were something that's probably one of the best debut albums. Yeah. Don't in rock fair. and roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Appetite for Destruction is probably one of the best debut albums. Nice. Uh, I was into a lot of gangster rap uh, nice. because it had lots of words that we weren't allowed to say. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Big into uh, NWA and Eazy-E and Ice-T. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I loved all the drama, too, because it was, you know, I, I love stories. So, mm-hmm. you know, you get all these magazines and you read about, you know, how, you know, the rest of NWA has beef with like uh, Eazy-E and there's all these, you know, all this infighting. And uh, I, I just loved all that stuff. It was kind of like the, I mean, a lot of this stuff was real, but to me, it was right. kind of like the same as like watching pro wrestling and stuff and having all yeah. these big, you know, yeah. Uh, personalities clashing with each other and i was i couldn't get enough of it yeah when they call each other out in different raps i loved it <laughs> <laughs> diss tracks love yeah. diss tracks yeah oh that's great so were, were you a big wrestling fan as well at that time um, i wouldn't say i was a huge wrestling fan at that time i mean i, I watched it but uh i probably got into it more and uh later on in life really than, than then, because it was just so sporadic. It wasn't, you know, and then the time of having everything at your fingertips, you know, you would just catch wrestling once a week, you know, on TBS or. (laughs) Yeah. There was like the, the, sometimes they would have the Saturday morning, like they were their recaps. So they would show clips of different wrestling shows throughout the week on Saturday mornings. I remember, I remember being able to, to watch that. Uh, and then Rowdy Rowdy Piper had a cartoon for a while as Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I tried to get as much. See, that was it. probably my big thing was movies, mentioning him and yeah. thinking about They Live. Oh, They Live. Uh, man, I, I saw They Live in the theater. Whoa. So good. Yeah. And I like how it's it's it was so much fun then and it's fun to reminisce, but it's it would be pretty, um pretty on the nose right now with all the nonsense right. we're experiencing. <laughs> it would be like. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh man, that'd be great. Um, so what was a typical routine like for young RD? I would um get up for school around uh 7:30 okay. uh, because I wanted to sleep as long as possible. Right. And uh when I was younger, uh my mother would take me to school. Uh, we lived you know, in the area we lived in. There was a bus, but it, it, you had to get up way early to ride the bus because it was mm-hmm. so far away. And she would take me to school. Um, 
I would dread it the entire way. I'd eat a Pop-Tart. They would start school and it would be, uh, I would just be looking at chances to go to the restroom just to get out of the room for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, elementary school, you usually only have one or two teachers. So they kind of got wise to it and got tired of me doing it. But I would look for any reason to get out just to change the scenery for five minutes because it was just excruciating to be in the same place and have to sit there all that time. Mm -hmm. Um, Lunch was always um, a packed lunch. I I just didn't dig the cafeteria food. And I was lucky enough my mom would make me a lunch with my Star Wars lunchbox. Nice. I love lunchboxes. I do too. I was looking at a bunch of them on eBay yesterday. Yeah. And just it's just fun to see the one. So I had that one. I had that one. Uh-huh. That one. Oh yeah. That's great. I um we always the the grade school I went to didn't have a cafeteria, so we always took pack lunch. Grew up like living on PB and J's or tuna fish sandwiches, Macintosh apples, which are the worst. They're the worst apples. They are. And then a juice box. That was they're that garbage was the apples. Oh yeah, they're I hate them so much. I hate them. And I don't I mean, even like so apples. Many apples. I just hate them especially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's so many apples to choose from. And that's, you know, that's the one yeah. like that's the apple everybody thinks of when they think of apple. Why? Why? Yeah. And no one likes them. Nobody. You know, you know what's evident about that? Not even Apple, the company uses a Macintosh as their logo apple. Oh, you're right. You're it's right. not a Macintosh. Their company is called Macintosh, and it's not a Macintosh. I hate, I hate them. Yeah. Same here. Yep, yep. Eight apples. Okay, so pack lunch, school. Uh, did you have any, um, like, after-school programs that you were involved in, or was it just like, all right, school's done, straight back home? There for a while, I did play a couple of sports. I played some baseball. Okay. Um, I just never was really into sports. That's fair. Uh, I did enjoy karate for a while. I took Ooh. karate for a while. Love that. Um, Love that. Let's see. That was the big things. And then, yeah, uh, other than karate and, you know, a little bit of sports. Um, yeah, it was come home, either play video games or ride my motorcycle. Ooh, nice. Okay. Was yeah, it when like I was a, about 13, a... I got like a dirt bike. Oh, nice. Okay. Was it, um, how many CCs do you remember? It was an 80 XR 80 XR 80. That's good to know. Cool beans. Yeah. We had this, uh, it was, they just started like drilling gas wells when I was around 12 or 13 up the hollow that I lived in or holler as we call it. The holler. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and then, they made all these little roads up the mountains and we would okay. just take our bikes. Me and we had a bunch of friends and we'd ride our dirt bikes up through the gas well roads and get chased off by workers. And nice. <laughs> <laughs> Surrounded by mountains. Were you like one of those kids that um, would do jumps on your uh, motorbike? Would you yeah, like yeah. dig out, dig Love out, like, like um, dig up hills and just hop off the hills and stuff? Were you one of those kids? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the great thing about the gas well roads is they kind of did that for use. Oh, nice. So we would just, you know, use what they built for us. Nice. I love it. I love but I'm it. sure we were a liability. That's why they kept trying to chase yeah. us. <laughs> Please don't get hurt where we're working. Please don't get hurt where we're working. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
Okay. So that's the the routine. Okay, so in that time, somewhere between 10 and 15, what um what were your like what was your projection? You know, what were you thinking like, oh, I'm gonna um pursue this in school or whatever. Maybe if I go to college or I would definitely want to go to college or anything like that. Were you looking at maybe the military, anything like that? I definitely wanted to go to college. I thought about that. And honestly, my dad had all but forbid me to go to the military. Oh, wow. Um, He was uh, a veteran, a Vietnam veteran. Okay. And he just didn't think it was something for me. Okay. And he was right. Uh, I don't think I would have uh, been the best at it. It's, you know, I have a lot of respect for people that do that sort of thing, but, Mm. uh, you know, with my ADHD and, and other issues and not being medicated at the time or even understanding what I had, mm-hmm. I would have not been the best candidate for the military. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you definitely wanted to go to college. What, what were you hoping to study in college? I actually started out as a business major, which is crazy. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought I was going to kind of go into to finance or something like that. I, I basically... I, I still wanted to be a writer. Uh, okay. I definitely did want to be a writer. Even when I was young, I told my mother that. And she said, well, you know, it's, it's difficult to, you know, make a living at it. It's kind of like, you know, it's just as difficult to be like, she uh, sort of compared it to being like a pro athlete or something, the difficulty. Mm-hmm. Right. So that made me kind of think, well, I probably need to get, you know, a real job or something. Yeah. It's what I thought at the time because it wasn't considered a real job in my head until, you know, actually here I am doing it. Yeah. But at the time I thought, well, if I can make enough money, then I could quit doing that job to go right. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter if I wasn't like super interested in it or, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether or not I could be good at it. I just thought if you just do something, you make enough money, then you can stop doing that thing and go right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. When did you when did you get your first um, your first major writing gig? It was uh, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Okay. Hmm. Um. I was working at a hotel. I was the assistant manager at a hotel. Okay. And uh, just kind of thinking about going back to college, or no, I'd already I'd already uh, got out of college by that time, but like. Um, okay, let me back this up a little bit. So I'd worked at, um, a hotel for a while after I'd flunked out of college, mm. uh, the first time, or actually just, I, I, I scored or not scored in the low enough. I had low enough grades. I thought if I don't just stop right now, it's going to get really bad. Mm. And, uh, so I went and I was working at a hotel Okay, and then I went back to college in, um, I guess it was 2000. Yeah. Around 2000. Okay. 2000, 2001. I remember I was in college again in 2001 when, uh, 9-11 happened. Mm. And, um, after I got out, I had, um, I was no longer working at the hotel, but I was, um, I think that was, let's see. I graduated in 2004. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there. And I was working just, you know, odd jobs and just, 
I always knew that I had trouble working in like office environments or, you know, even when I was working in a hotel, it was just very working with other people with a, a lot of my ADHD uh, quirks mm-hmm. was always, even though most people, I mean, enjoyed working with me, I was always constantly embarrassed by things, you know, mm-hmm. because it would be, Oh, I'm always late. I'm all, I didn't do this right. I did this completely backwards because I only listened to the first five minutes of how to do it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so that was an issue, but um, yeah. So about 2007, my friend Mark Kidwell was working for a company called dead dog comics. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a writer, but I also knew how to design websites okay. and they needed a message board. So I designed the message board and I also slid them a script. Nice. And they read the script and they're like, well, you know, we love the message board and we love the script too. How about we, you know, we buy it from you. So they bought it. Score. And that was my first comic gig was dead dog comics, which was really fun. I met them at mid Ohio comic con. And uh, do you remember Robert Zadar? Yeah. This name I, I do remember. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Maniac Cop. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they wanted to show me around the con, the Dead Dog guys did. And Robert Zadar was sitting beside of their booth, you know, doing a signing. They just left my wife there with the money and everything. They left Amy there, and she's just like, uh, what, where are you all going? <laughs> and I was just so excited. I just wanted to, yeah, take me wherever. And when I got back, she's like, this dude won't leave me alone. <laughs> Robert Zadar is just hitting on my wife. Oh, no. <laughs> He's like, you look just like Joni Mitchell, but a beautiful Joni Mitchell. Oh, Whatever wow. that means. Right. <laughs> and he was just so drunk. Tony can even tell you this story uh, oh, that gosh. plays D&D with us. Yeah. Uh, he uh, was so drunk that he peed himself. Uh, and, and the poor man's dead now. But, I mean, right. he was just so belligerently drunk. And... Someone had stolen his uh, photos when he went to go get more drinks. So he was just so angry and yelling and just going off that they finally had to remove him from the show. Oh, no. (laughs) And that was my wife's first experience with me being in comics. I'm surprised we're still together, but we are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. That's and so then funny. after that, uh, Mark and I uh, developed a book for Arcana Comics called mm-hmm. American Wasteland, mm-hmm. which was about a truck driver from Kentucky fighting vampires. And that was kind of my first like big thing that I did. And I wanted it to be a B movie. I okay. wanted it to like have the B movie elements, which in hindsight, I think it's probably not best to make it look schlocky on one of your first big things. But that's right. what I did. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good enough to... Um, catch the attention of the folks at NBC. Right. When I did Heroes. Mm-hmm. And that was another great story because I think that, uh, you know, my writing, I was co- uh, confident in my writing, but I was at New York Comic Con and a kid named Judah Dobin wanted the owner of Arcana to look at his work. Mm-hmm. And he was busy and kind of just passed him off to me. And I was looking at his stuff's great. His stuff's still awesome to this day. I don't know what he's doing now, but he's awesome. And his roommate was a guy named Greg Peretta, who was the roommate of one of the producers at Heroes. Hmm. 
So Sean blew the guy off. Uh, and that, I don't mean like he did that in like a, a negative way or anything. He was just busy. And he's like, hey, will you look at this? But I gave the, this kid time. And so when he called Judah, because Judah was an artist, he said, do you know anybody that could write, you know, for heroes right now? And he mentioned me. So that was like, you know, I could have done the same thing, but I, I was too busy, but I didn't. Wow. And I think that, you know, was a big help in me getting the job at Heroes. And I wrote for them for about a year. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Man, chance encounters, right? Right. Holy yeah. Smokes. I mean, that's kind of your whole deal in, in many ways. I know it's decisions too, but I mean, chance yeah. encounters are so that's it. life changing, I mean, right? Like in, in that moment, um, you could have been like, oh, you know what? I'm too busy. Right. And then you find out later that this kid ends up collaborating with somebody else at that con that showed him some time. And you're like, oh, man, I could have been I could have been writing for the damn it. You know, all of that that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I do that with everything. I just try to, you know, treat people the way I want to be treated. Yeah. And I think it pays off in the end. Your karma, man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, one, one thing I love about karma is, I mean, no matter what your belief system in, is, there is a measure of that baked in. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. So like karma is a um, Hindu, Buddhist and like all of the offshoots of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like specifically called karma in there. Then you have like um, in the golden rule. The golden rule. In Christianity, yeah. Well, yeah, I think the, the, in Christianity, the golden rule is supposed to be... Um, do unto others. Is it? I thought that was... The, I thought it was do unto others and they would do any, or Yeah. Yeah. I, I just know that like the, in Christianity and Catholicism, they talk a lot about you reap what you sow. That too, yeah. Yeah. So I think that one... Uh, so it's... but it, Essentially what I'm saying is it's, it's all over the place. So the idea of uh, the will reaping, you know... Uh, mantra of don't be a dick I feel like applies across the board right know? and what's what's amazing is uh, a lot of times when you choose not to be a dick and you reach you know a helping hand out to somebody it comes back around and that person is like hey you helped me let me throw you a bone because I'm grateful for you know the kindness that you showed me let me throw you some kindness right right and I mean even if it were not true Mm-hmm. We have to believe it is because humanity survived all of this time by collaborating and working together. It's right. not, it's when we work together that we reach our our, our highest triumphs, mm-hmm. and, and it's when we you know bicker and fight when we reach our lowest lows. Yeah, and I mean that I think that's just kind of the built into humanity to want to believe that, and yeah. I mean you know I believe it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. I try and, um, no matter, no matter what the situation is, I try and treat people in a way where I think like, okay, as much as I want to like burn this person to the ground or I want to burn this bridge, there's this part of me that's like, okay, leave it open because let's say they're being just a monumental butthead. Right. And you're like, no, screw it. I want you out of my life. I want to burn this. But then like, they come around and they stop being a butthead and they recognize their buttheadery and you know, they turn that around leaving the space open for potential in the future. I feel like always presents itself with the opportunity when that person does turn it around to have that moment, you know, where later on you're able to, you know, 
engage in a way that's helpful to both of you. The Bodhi is, as they say here in Chicago. <laughs> oh, I agree totally. I mean, I'm notorious for, you know, blocking people or uh, muting them. Uh, but, you know, that's people get that tangled up with, you know, IRL in real life or something. And it's right. not. I mean, you know, I'll still talk to that same person. I just didn't <laughs> want them on my feed being yeah. <laughs> negative all the time. <laughs> it's like we can still go have beers. We can have we can be friends, mm-hmm. but you're just too negative. Right. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's hard though, especially in this, in this current time and climate that we're in to separate people from their social media. Right. Yes. I mean, yes. There's, that, there's that part of you that, that doesn't want to believe all of your racist uncles are just as racist as they suggest they are or aunties or friends. I'm just using racist uncle as, Oh no, you're right. You know, yeah. Yeah. So like, you're just like, Oh man, I really don't want to believe that about you. You know, and then so my wife and I will talk a lot about the idea of never meet your heroes because they will only disappoint you, you know, so it's it's that sort of thing. And not necessarily everyone that, you know, or connected to is is your hero, but it just you find yourself in that position like, man, I really don't want to believe you are this terrible person that says these vitriolic things. So you just you remove them from your access on social media. So this way when you see them and they're hiding it, you know, you can at least have a pleasant moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. another thing too. And we, we just talked about, I made that decision to, you know, give that guy my time. Mm-hmm. And it really did change my life. I mean, that was one of the biggest gigs I ever had. Yeah. So that's something yeah. to think about too. Right on. Um, right on. <laughs> carry on. <laughs> right on. Okay. So, um, I think, I think we're about good. I have an idea of how I'm going to build this story. I think I like the idea of, you know, adolescent RD, um, discovering having ADHD and then like going through the, the taking the steps to address it and then seeing how that might play out later. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you're more insistent on being an artist. And when your mom says like, well, you know, being an artist is akin to being a professional athlete, you know, maybe you fight back because in that moment, you're there's, there's no, there's no anxiety that comes with ADHD. Right. You don't have the anxiety. Right. You're instead like, no, I am steadfast on this. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. like, I'm a kid now. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get trained and I'm going to do this thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's that. Maybe, um, maybe the writing that you get isn't, you know, in the field that you currently have it. Maybe it's in, in different ways. Uh, have you been playing? We, I, I mentioned, um, that you're a DM. Have you been playing D and D? since the 80s no um i read the books and uh i always imagined how i would play with people but Mm. it was very uh this was during the satanic panic oh my gosh yes uh with the uh the tom hanks movie uh what was it dark tom hanks yeah, um, there's a Tom Hanks D and D movie. Oh, there's a D. What? Okay, we have to look. This oh up. yeah, hold on here. Uh, what's our mazes and monsters? Mazes and monsters. We might have to do a watch party sometime with oh, the D and D group. I haven't seen this movie. When was this released? 
Ah, uh, this was 1982 when it was released. GTFO. Yeah. Oh, my oh, yeah. Gatos. And, and yeah, he, he got lost in the tunnels or something. And I, I can't remember it very well, but we definitely ought to watch that again. Yes. And there's another one called Dark Dungeons, which is based on the Jack Chick track. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with Jack Chick? Uh-uh. He, he, it was a big part of my childhood as well as finding these little tracks, comic book tracks of, um, you know, you, you have to be a Christian or you're going to go to hell. Oh. And that was, that was the subject of all these little tracks. And you gotcha. find them in the bathrooms at the KFC. Or, yeah. Yeah. And I collect them now because they're, they're awful and hilarious at the same time. Yeah. How many of those uh, fake $50 bills do you have? <laughs> I have a couple of them, yeah. actually. My gosh. Oh my gosh. I was, um, uh, man in the, like early two thousands, early, early two thousands when I was working at, um, I worked at a, a few summer camps. I had spent some time in like the kitchen or serving, uh, just bringing people food. It wasn't even like, Oh, here's a, a menu. It was like, this is what we're having for dinner. Just get ready. Sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but a few times I had people tip me with, 50s that were not real and i tell you what i have never wanted to flip a table and knock somebody out more than when i'm busting my butt serving you it's and your cruel. group of 15 to get a stinking track get out of here i mean it's so cruel it's it's really cruel <laughs> it is it is i mean because if it's it, it it does this thing to you where Part of the contract, like the social contract in that moment is I'm going to sit, you're going to serve me and I'm going to throw you some cash, right? Mm -hmm. Because I am grateful for your service. But if you, if you take that and you're like, I'm going to sit, you're going to serve me. And not only am I not going to throw you cash, I'm going to get your hopes up by throwing this large number. If it was a fake one, you know, I would be annoyed. Oh man, they only left a dollar and it's a track. Get out of here. But instead, like you get my hopes up, like, oh. Man, okay, this is going to go a long way to paying rent. This is going to go a long way to, you know, buying groceries. Yeah. Oh, it's fake, man, you know. So I know what if they take that same $50 bill and wrote what they wanted to say on the bottom of the $50 bill. Yes. That go a long way for me, man. Man, I tell you what, I, I might listen to your message if that was right. the message that you had. Oh man, a 50 and a beautiful note, put it on a post-it, attach it to the 50. I might be way more inclined. But then yeah. you're going to tease me. Get out of here. Your soul is worth more than this 50. Shut your stupid mouth. You shut right. your stupid mouth. Ugh. So yeah, during the satanic panic though, uh, I would hide D&D books like kids would hide Playboys. Right. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Were you into like Forgotten Realms and all that jazz? Oh yeah. Drizzt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Baldur's Gate. Yes, I knew enough about D&D by the time I started playing later in life, which was actually, you know, I was an adult before I played D&D. Wow. Okay. But uh, I I always loved it. Nice. Yeah, I mean, this campaign that that, uh, I joined with you guys is the first time I've ever played D&D. Oh, really? Yeah. First time ever. Wow. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. I enjoyed it. It's a little bit storytelling and a whole lot of improv. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that um, one of the things that I love about it is being able to flex improv chops because, mm-hmm. yeah, so I've been I've been doing improv for quite a few years now. 
So it's just, it's like a fun exercise where you get to be playful and daydream and you get to, you know, kind of create this character in your head and play out what they might think. And so you have to be in character. You have to, you know, be on the fly, you know, the conversations, asking questions, all that jazz. I love it. I love it. Oh yeah. I mean, when I write them, I I come up with a story and then Mm -hmm. I have all of these, you know, what is it? Yes. And, Mm -hmm. or yeah. So I have all that because you guys take me in all these different directions. Sometimes like there was one moment you guys got me where I was, I have to like walk away for a minute to think about what to do with this. (laughs) This is just thrown me. When you, when you guys tame some snakes, it was just, I have no idea what to do with this. (laughs) I didn't expect him to do that. Right. Oh man! I mean, it's one thing for you want to want to do it, but when you succeed so successfully at it, it's just right. like I got to give you the gifts, yeah. but now I got to figure out what to, what, do. what to do. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I'm always super grateful because I'm like, oh man, this is we're probably like when when we like succeed on things like that, I'm like, oh man, we're probably ruining some really fun idea that he had <laughs> thought up. But I mean, at the same time, I feel like it's the the beauty of it is like going for it you know sometimes you hit sometimes you miss but the fun of the whole thing is like oh here is here is a creative problem let's be playful with a creative solution you know and if yeah. it hits man look at look at all the fun because now um now that giant redwood sized snake is running around hanging out with us you know yeah so in now a we get, city of the dead yeah oh my gosh it's so bonkers man it's so all of this is so bonkers but i love it I love it. It's great. I'm glad you're having a good time. I, yeah. I love to do it. It's, it's such a good time. Cool beans. It's so great. Like you said, for problem solving, I, I think corporate America should hit on this for like, you know, make your like employees play D and D together. Yeah. Um, there's man. So I know quite a few people that teach improv that also do, uh, corporate America gigs where, mm-hmm. uh, they'll, um, take like a group of like a sales floor or whatever, put them in a room and then force them to play improv games or force them to go through like improv scenarios to, to really flex and hone that problem solving, the upselling, you know, the, just the, the being in the moment and actively listening and, you know, all instead of just memorizing your scripts and just waiting for them to stop talking so you can continue with your scripts sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh yeah, I think that every salesman in America should talk to, uh, I'll use his player name, uh, Steve, the, uh, stab oh, yeah, knife sure. salesman. Oh my gosh. I think he could teach them quite a bit. For sure. He's so aggressively <laughs> hilarious with, no, no, you need to buy these terrible knives. <laughs> and uh, he even, he's so upfront. They're terrible, but yeah, you're going to yeah. buy them. Because- oh, just so you know, all of these cleavers, they're just going to do blunt damage. <laughs> that was yep. my favorite line that he said so far about <laughs> that stuff. Oh, my man. persuasion is so high, you'll buy it anyway. Yeah, you will. And you'll love it. <laughs> you might be disappointed in a little bit, but for right now. Yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. All right. So at this point of the show, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to listen to some music. When we come back, we will hear the story of other RD. Stick around, listen to some music. And when we come back, we're here. Thank you for being here.
Today's episode is Drowning Thoughts by X Taker X. You can find his music on freemusicarchive.org. Welcome back. I uh, hope you enjoyed that musical break. Again, my guest today is Artie Hall. If you'd like to follow him on Instagram or Twitter, Twitter is at Artie Hall. Instagram is at Artie Hall number two. Simple D Dimple. Please follow him. He's got clever things to say and you can follow along with uh, the things that he's working on in this life. With that being said, let's get right down to the story. You ready? I'm ready. Excellent. Here we go. <clears throat> This is it, ladies and gentlemen, the final jump of the day. Will he make it? That's the question. Isn't it Bob? Other RD giggles to himself. Seriously, who's Bob? How do I even come up with this stuff? The determined boy of barely 13 years stares ahead down the narrow pathway to the haphazardly constructed mound, currently the largest mound on Gaswell Road. His boyish smile sits on his dirt-covered cheeks, the marks of many attempts that ended face-first in a soft pile of dirt clay and mud, but it doesn't last. The gravity of his attempt weighs on him. His little body is sore and fatigued and fear is welling up within him as the waning light of the wet, chilly spring day. You got this, other RD. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Fly, you fool! He takes a deep breath and pushes and careens down the narrow footpath to the mound. He focuses as hard as his young mind would allow until mere feet from the precipice of the jump. Shoot, did I put all my toys away? Those action figures were on my dresser, but I, did I put them back on the shelf? He says aloud, contemplatively. Distracted, he slows his pace and takes his eyes off the path ahead. As his gaze shifts, so do his hands, pulling the bike off the thin path and onto the rough, uneven edges. Reacting to the jostling of the bike, he corrects his path, but not enough for both wheels to hit the jump. His front tire misses the edge of the mound, but the back tire stays on the path and hits the mound, sending him flying over and face first into the secondary mound, unprotected. He hears the crunch of his compressed spine and lets out a loud yelp, drawing in all the air his lungs, uh, drawing all the air in his lungs out, continuing in silence when all his breath is spent. He gasps for air and tries to yell again, but nothing comes out. The light is gone, and with it, the last of the day's warmth. Other RD lies in the mud, cold and silent, whimpering in the dark. His eyes close, embracing the impending darkness. The throbbing in his head fills his mind with screams. Other RD thrusts open his eyes amid a chorus of screams, some from within his head as well as his own. He coughs loudly, desperate to catch his breath. The tears streaming down his face followed the path laid down by those wept in his sleep these last few days. The nurse at the station just outside his room messages the doctor responsible for the rooms on this block and heads in to tend to the remarkably unmangled boy. It's okay, hon. You're fine. Just breathe. You're okay. You're safe now, she comforts. She places her hand on the back of his head and gently lays him back down. Where am I? Well, you're at the Tug Valley Hospital. You took quite the spill. What were you doing out there all by yourself? You know you made your mama sick with worry? She's downstairs having lunch. You're lucky someone found you. You were gone a whole day. Okay, that's enough. The boy has seen his fill of discomfort, hasn't he? Let him rest. Dr. Rollins approaches other RD with a soft smile. Can you tell me your name, hon? She sits on the bed next to him, checking his pulse while monitoring his vitals on the bedside machine. Um, other RD? Good. You know your name. Can you tell me where you live? Other R.D. examines the room briefly, noticing a few bits and bobs on the counter a few feet away from the bed. Distracted, he says, those are all out of place. 
Can I rearrange them while we talk? Uh, no, I think you should rest. Just, just a minute. Like I, I can just go set those straight in like a minute. May I? Becoming slightly firmer. I'm sorry, other Eddie. You need to rest. How can I rest with all those things all willy nilly? Laughing, Dr. Rollins asks again, can you tell me where you live? Then you can clean up. Conceding, another RD responds, I'm from Nero's branch. As the words escape his lips, he stands and shakily makes his way over to the counter where some papers are laid, a box of tissues and other items. He organizes them from largest, smallest, left to right. My head hurts, he blurts and heads back to the bed and immediately falls back to sleep. Other RD sleeps soundly through the night. In the morning, he's met with the worried smile of his mother. Boy, you know it was God that saved you. And hopefully he saves you again when we get you home and I serve you up a whooping right deserving of disappearing like that. Mama, I didn't disappear. I was riding my bike. He pauses, noticing the items on the counter have moved. Why did those move? Did what move? Never mind, I'll fix them. He stands and rearranges the items on the counter and returns to the bed. So you were riding your bike? Yes, it was fun. I was just jumping over some small jumps. Where did those mounds come from anyway? I don't like coconut. I like almonds but not coconut. So I don't want any almond joy or mounds. I'll take a three musketeers though. I love those. What are you even, why were you riding your bike out there? I was just riding because there was some jumps and you know, I like to ride my bike. I mean, I, I didn't mean to worry you. The nurse said you were worried, but I didn't, I don't know where that nurse came from. I was just here by myself. And then she appeared out of nowhere like that invisible man movie we saw. I hope she's not a Russian spy. James Bond isn't a real spy. So who would even stop her? Dr. Rollins looks inquisitively. Other RD, do you, do you lose focus sometimes? Other RD's mother responds hastily, lose focus, sweetie, this boy never has focus. He's here or there. I mean, you saw him recognize that counter when I was trying to talk to him. Interesting. He did that yesterday too. I might be able to prescribe something to help him. It's something uh, to make sure his head didn't suffer too much from the fall. He's lucky he was so flexible. Yeah, that's from karate. I have to do a lot of kicks, but not like the dancers on TV. I'm sure Dr. F Rollins fills out a pad and finishes her examination before releasing him. Later that evening, R.D. sits on the floor in the center of his bedroom. All his action figures are posed on every flat surface in his room. Even his video games are lined up facing the center. He sits cross-legged and slowly circles the room with his eyes. You almost lost me, guys. I was almost done for. What would you do? Probably would have been thrown in the garbage. Little sis wouldn't want to play with you. You were almost trash. Other R.D. somberly lowers his head, closing his eyes. In an instant, his consciousness separates from his body, floating above and out toward the doorway. He scans the room. The color seems to be draining from everything in the room as if riding the webbing of a spider. The colors make their way to other R.D. sat in the center. In his belly sits a small fluctuating mass of light and color. There's a humming emanating from the core of his little body. The ball of light responds to the waves of sound. He cannot quite, quite make out what is being said. It sounds rhythmic, melodic. The sounds grow louder and louder and the ball of light grows in time with the sounds. It grows heavy and falls into other RD's lap and is quickly absorbed into his abdomen. The light and sound explode from within, from within him out every pore, yet it still grows from his belly to his head and through it rising. They erupt and immediately combust two feet above his head, but the blast is contained. Slowly swirling above him are all the thoughts and ideas, dreams, desires, fears, memories lost within a mind deprived of clarity. 
His ghostly conscious reaches out and takes hold of an idea and he's flooded with all the possibilities he was never able to consider, having left the idea behind to chase a sparkle in a different direction. Frustrated with the loss, he cries out, wake up! The swirling ball of light stops and falls. It lands atop his head and courses through him, exploding back out along the spider webbing, connecting him to everything in this room until the room is full of color and he is drawn back into this tiny body sitting in the middle of the floor. Other RD stands silent and still, breathing heavily in through his nose and out through his mouth. A single tear falls down his cheek. Unsure of exactly what he just witnessed, he heads to the bathroom and takes a pill from the jar given to him at the hospital and heads back to bed, lying down for a nap. Several years pass. I would like to welcome to the stage this year's valedictorian, who won a National Merit Scholarship, likely due to his published essay about a boy who was able to truly see himself and change the world. Get up here, Arthur R.D. Arthur R.D. stands confident and slowly walks to the podium. Focus. Sometimes things in life seem out of focus. Sometimes they might be in focus, but so are so many other things around them. How do you choose which of those to lay your sights upon and pursue in earnest? Well, let me tell you what has worked for me. He takes a deep breath in and glances down at his notes before looking up, exhaling, and... The end. That's it. That's where it ends. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Right on. Right on. Other RD is uh, quite the daredevil. I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. Yeah. I remember I remember we were talking about how uh, you would ride your bike a lot and then you would go up and down those roads that they were like doing construction. And it, it reminded me of when I lived in Colorado. Uh, anytime there was anything like that, you would see kids like hopping in and out like BMX races and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. It was <laughs> Doing those jumps and stuff. <laughs> anytime there was, you know, something to jump, you had to at least try it. Right. right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to give it a go. I had to give it a go. Oh, man. So um, were were you able to uh, see yourself in any part of this? I was. Yeah, I was. Uh, I I could definitely see the same sort of possibilities if perhaps I um, learned about my ADHD sooner or Mm -hmm. um, maybe done something about it sooner. It's it's one of those things where the possibilities, you know, like this entire project that you're doing, it's just one little decision can change everything from mm-hmm. that point on. It's just, you open up that door and you're suddenly, you know, not necessarily a different person, but your circumstances are completely different. You know, right. um, not me being a valedictorian. That's, uh, that would have been pretty wild. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think valedictorians aren't necessarily the smartest kids in school. They're just the most disciplined. Yes, the most focused. My wife was actually valedictorian of her high school. And it was, you know, all about the fact that when she was a freshman, she decided that's what she wanted. And she laser focused on it the entire time. Yeah. And that was, you know, even though uh, she also has ADHD, that was her hyper focus. That was her hyper focus Mm. in life was to be valedictorian. So it took over everything else. Wow. So, you know, I'm sure lots of other things may have suffered at the time Mm -hmm. and she'd tell you the same, but she had that laser focus. So when you said valedictorian, it kind of made me chuckle because 
that's exactly what she did. And yeah. she, because of hyper focus and she was able to, wow. you know, do that yeah. thing. And, yeah. It's not like when in, in, in my high school, we had uh, like a thousand seniors graduate and the, there were like 10 kids all within like a half point of being valedictorian. So it like, it, it, it told me then it wasn't necessary of, all right, who's the absolute smartest kid here? You know? Cause I mean, they're all with like almost 5.0 or whatever the highest GPA you could have at the time. Uh, they all had about that. So it just comes down to like discipline and, you know, do you make, do you get one answer wrong on one of your tests in your third year or, you know, in your second year or whatever, you know? Yeah. And in my experience, I think it's a lot about, or it's so much how well you can follow directions more Mm -hmm. than how, um, intelligent or creative you might be because sometimes, you know, you're explicitly told to do things a certain way, but there's a better way to do it that you won't get credit for. Right. And, and that's life in general, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the whole idea of, you know, if you follow everything explicitly and you do everything you're told that it's not going to lead to anything, uh, special or (laughs) amazing in life and following the directions never rewards you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I a lot about. No, no, go ahead. What's that? Oh, I said I think a lot about all the people that really kind of make their mark in the world are always the people that others are saying, "No, you can't do it that way. No, that's not the way it's done." Mm-hmm. And the sort of creatives and like people that go beyond are always, "Well, why not? Why can't I do it this way? Let's see what mm-hmm. happens." Yeah. Yeah, they're, man. So my, my wife is super into very headstrong people. Um, and so I can't even tell you who said this, but it, it somebody was saying how most of the things that they have accomplished in their life uh, happened because someone said they couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, same here. I mean, I, I almost take it as a challenge when someone says, well, you can't do it like that. Like, oh, Why not? Oh, really? Watch me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. I get that. And I totally appreciate that. It it's, it's a trip. Um, and I think what's like, like so many things, especially when you have creative or motivated people, there's like this double-edged sword because some people, you know, will see that sword come in and will will parry it. Right. And that would be people like you, the person I mentioned that are like, Oh, I can't do it. Watch me. Here's a parry. I'm going to repost. And this is, this is it. And then you have those other people that are like, Oh, I can't do it. Oh. And then you just kind of like collapse in on themselves, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's such a trip because you know, when you're trying from, from per, so I'm, I'm the person that I love to motivate people. Right. I, yeah. I get so much life from motivating and empowering and encouraging people. And there's, there's no one right way to do it, you know, cause you have those people like you that are like, challenge me, tell me no, and I will overcome. And those other people are like, please don't tell me no. Cause I will immediately give up, you know? Yeah. And, so. and I think that's just about uh, any sort of uh, creative endeavor, everything being different. Mm-hmm is the whole idea that I can only create what I can create because of who I am. And Mm -hmm. that's the same for everyone. Everyone is so different that 
every voice matters in a different way. So I always encourage so many people to write or to do something creative because mm-hmm. no one's ever seen it before because it's coming out of your mind and your right. mind, you think differently than anyone else on this planet. I don't care who you are, mm-hmm. what you think is unique to you and there's never going to be another you. Right. So if you go at life looking that way, there's no telling what you can do and no telling what you can contribute to the world because no one's ever thought the way you did in history. Right. No matter who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how that is true for all of the history that has ever ever existed. I'm curious to think in like 30, 40 years when there are clones running around, how different (laughs) the clones are, you know? (laughs) Oh, totally. Like, I think about that a lot in science fiction. I mean, just because you have the same, you know, DNA or makeup or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a complete, you know, carbon copy, there's the environment. There's Mm -hmm. the way that you're taught to experience your environment. There's so many things Mm -hmm. that can be part of it. And, you know, just even the fact that uh, I would be or my clone would be genetically predisposed to have ADHD, mm-hmm. the way they handle it would be completely different than my way. Right. Yeah. And it may be more successful or it may be destructive. I mean, mm-hmm. it's once again, we're opening doors and you never know what's on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that's um, fascinating? Have you seen uh, Gemini Man, that Will Smith movie? Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I like the whole idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think that that speaks to a little bit uh, of it. So um, the, his clone is like identical to him. And they were like, I know, I know you because you feel all these things in the, this way or in these ways. Right. Right. Um, And that's, that is an interesting way, but the way like, I think about it is like a romance, romanticize this idea that because identical twins are technically clones of each other um, Mm -hmm. and how no matter how similar they are, they're all different a little bit, you know? Yeah. So the way that they like things or whatever, they might choose to do things the same because you know, that's, that is their unique quirk. Like, no, we're twinsies. We have to be twinsies about everything. Uh, They still Mm -hmm. like things differently. They're attracted to different people and so on and so forth. So, I mean, there's that part of me that is like, oh man, I wonder if it's, we are essentially destined to no matter what, be who we are. And every clone we have is going to fall in line the same way. Maybe not identically because they're going to have a different mm-hmm. living situation than we did. Right. Um, right. But at the same time, I like also the idea that they're, once they start life, they're a hundred percent different. They might look like us, have our DNA, but they're different. Their mind is different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, each choice has created a different reality that they're in. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if we live in the same reality, Mm -hmm. there's a different being and that choice created a reality for them that's different. Yeah. And it's, it's just like the, um, sort of one of the, the time travel, um, hypotheses where you know once you travel then you're on in an alternate timeline and it's always right. altered forever right right, right. Uh, it's kind of like that with different beings mm-hmm. uh, once they make that decision that decision has affected them mm-hmm. um you never get to made make that decision because it's a different time it's a different uh i mean even as a as a twin you're looking at the other which is the other you know twin of you mm-hmm. with a different eye than they look at you even so right, it's yeah. 
yeah, it's all about the uniqueness of the human mind that we went, you know, we talked about a few minutes ago, the, there's no other being like the person that you are, mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah. Agreed. And yeah, even with clones, I think that it would be completely different. Right. Yeah. Which is a trip. So unless, unless they are, um, what's his name? Multiple man, right? That's the X-Men. Oh, yeah. That can, yeah. Can <laughs> create clones of himself, but he like controls them all. So even though they exist as physical beings, they're really just like projections of himself. Yeah. You know? Right. So. Almost like a automatons or remote bodies yeah. of themselves. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of I, f- I feel like of all of the like mutant powers and X-Men that I've fantasized, like, oh, what would I do? I think in my laziest moments, I just desperately want to be multiple man so that I can send out all these versions of myself to do all the things that I'm supposed to do. And I can just sit right. on the couch and watch TV. <laughs> That's the best version of that. It's not like, uh, do, you, do you remember the Michael Keaton movie, uh, Multiplicity? Multiplicity, yeah. Yeah. They were or the they copy had, like, of a copy. They had single, uh, singularly focused facets of his, you know, personality. Yes. Yeah, I loved that. I loved that. Send yourself to, you know, all you do is wash dishes. It reminds me of that um, Rick and Morty uh, thing with the robot. And it's like, what do I do? You pass butter. And that's all oh, you do. <laughs> that's right. That is right. That is right. Oh, my gosh. I've seen that. What I've is seen my that, purpose? that meme so many times. <laughs> what is my purpose? <laughs> you know, you pass butter. And it's so sad. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love it. Oh man! I mean, it's kind of like that with people, though. I mean, like people get set in the and and it shouldn't be, but like I think some people are told that you pass butter, mm-hmm. and they get stuck in the rut of thinking all I do is pass butter. You know, right. all I do is I work at you know a retail store, or all I do is I you know uh, an accountant or mm-hmm. an, uh, you know, and that's all I that's me. Like that's why I always hate when people you know, at a party or whatever, the, their first question is always, what do you do? It's like, that's yeah. probably the least interesting thing about anyone. Yeah. Even if you have a cool job, it's the least interesting thing. Yeah. Like, what do you love? What do you, what yeah. do you like to do? You know, not what do you do? What do you like to do? Right, right, right. Apparently that's a super American thing because our identity is so attached to, you know, our financial status, especially insofar as we are, are earning the way that we earn. Um, but in like other places, uh, like especially in Europe, when they're getting to know you, it's less about, oh, what is your job? And more about like, hey, what do you love? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a, from there. It's the difference between working to live and living to work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. Dang. <laughs> and that makes perfect sense that it's an American sort of thing. I can totally see that now. So. Yeah. So many people are very wrapped up in the career that they have. And I mean, I think it's awesome to find Mm -hmm. something that you love to do or, you know, that you've got something that you want to do, but just people are so much more than just that, you know, the job, yeah. Job description. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that has to, a lot of that has to do with how depressed people get when they lose their job, you know, because now your actual identity is under attack. Yeah. I mean, who am I? I've been at this job for 10 years and they just fired me like nothing. Was I nothing? Like, no, man, you were just as valuable as you ever were. You just need to get a new way to earn money to pay rent. That's it. That's not who you are. Yeah. So, I mean, 
Yeah, I worked with that even in uh, therapy talking about like being a writer and, you know, there's ups and downs of being a writer Mm -hmm. and sometimes you're successful and sometimes, you know, it's feast or famine. Right. And yeah, she told me because I I was getting really wrapped up in that for a long time. And she said, but do you think other people have worth outside of what they do? And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, oh, of course they do. I mean, people's worth is not the why you're tying up your own self-worth in what you do. And I was it was a eureka moment. And I'm like, right. Oh man, mm. I'm <clears throat> I'm doing the same thing I criticize others for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or not so much criticize, but I lament. And it's right. just yeah, it's different to look at yourself sometimes. And that's what's great about this this story, even as I look at, you know, it's a neat objective look at another idea of mm-hmm. what I would have been. Right. Yeah, it's neat. Yeah. It's uh right on. Right yeah, on. I really liked it. Cool. I'm I'm so glad you liked it. I really am. I feel like um, there's, I feel immense pressure writing. I mean, even though I've done so many of these already, I still am feeling immense pressure if I'm writing one for somebody that I know writes. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, oh, it has to be perfect or it has to be absolutely terrible because if it's absolutely (laughs) terrible, I could just chalk it up to, oh no, I was was just, I was just playing around. I thought you would get a kick out of as a writer, like all of the, the syntax errors and bullshit, you know? (laughs) <laughs> right sort of thing so. oh man that's the trap as being a writer too is the perfection idea like that is the trap like you yeah. want it to be perfect and it can't be and it, it never will be right i mean uh all these great you know what we call you know um geniuses and, and mm-hmm. masters of uh writing um eventually there you know there's somebody out there that criticizes everything that they do and mm-hmm. tells you how awful it is no matter how much you love them or everyone else would love them and that's just the worrying about perfection has been one of the banes of my career as a writer honestly and trying to create that perfect thing right out mm. uh, i learned a long time ago that um i should just write something awful and fix it later uh, fix it in the edits because yeah. if you don't, you'll never write it because you keep, you know, it's all, there's a great program out that won't let you backspace right now that I've tried. And, uh, really? yeah, yeah. It was like on this, it's on this little like computer pad called free, write, And it's just, it shows you like a little block of words, probably about uh, four or five sentences. And you can't backspace until you take it and you put it into your computer for later. Cause it's its own little like writing device. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can take it out and, you know, put it into Dropbox or something like that and put it in edit on Word or something later uh, mm-hmm. or pages. But the time that you're writing it, there's no backspace. Whoa. And it's kind of freeing because it's like, well, I, I can't go back and fix it. I'll just have to do it later. So sometimes, sometimes you're typing a new sentence. It's like, ignore that last sentence, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, oh, my God. And it really does push you forward. Huh. Because it's just like, you're going to make mistakes. Go ahead and make them. We'll fix yeah. it later. Okay. Go, go, go. And wow. that's, it's a cool feeling to work that way. And even though I've only tried that out a couple of times, I try to do that now just when I'm working on it in Scrivener, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of go through it. And um, it's great. Just move, move, move and fix wow. it later. Wow, and I learned that from fixing other people's stuff. Like uh, people okay. would say, hey, would you look at this for me? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I was like, why can't I get anything written? It must be because I keep editing and helping people with their mm-hmm. stuff. I'm just not making time for myself. No, it's because I had something already there mm-hmm. that needed fixed that was broken and I could fix it. I'm just like, uh, just make something like that for yourself. Right, right, right. Yeah. Huh. 
Wow. You know, it's funny. I like one of my friends is a writer and I love his stuff and he is his grammar. He doesn't care about grammar or punctuation or anything like that. He like never mm-hmm. uses question marks. It, it He just doesn't care. Uh, and he just goes and goes and goes. And I know like when I read it, I'm like, you can see that, you know, it's like, oh, this is misspelled. There's, this should be a comma or whatever. Where's the semicolon? This is a question. Why is there no question mark sort of thing? Uh, and then I find when I'm writing, uh, I'm constantly editing as I go, as I go. Like I'll write a paragraph and stop and reread it and maybe tweak this, tweak that, tweak this, tweak that instead of just going, you know, like you're saying, just, yeah. just go, don't backspace, don't reread, just literally just go until the thought is out and then you can, you know, chisel and fine tune and shape it better, but just get the rock on the paper, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, and I always find storytellers like that, that, you know, do sort of write like that uh, Mm -hmm. are great oral storytellers. They can tell a story so well because all those question marks and uh, inflections and all that, when they're telling the story, it's right there and they know where it's supposed to go. It's just, it's a stream of consciousness. Sometimes I think when they write it on the page, and they already know, like, they're going to tell you this story later and they're going to tell it and it's going to be great. Yeah. And- yeah. Right on. I think that's one of the things that I love about this podcast is even though I get to write it and I get to express that measure of creativity, I get to perform it too, which right. is super fun, you know? So like even all the things as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, I messed that up as I'm reading it. It doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I can fix it on the fly, you know, and I can give dramatic pauses or I can emphasize this. I can change my voice a little to help, you know, separate who the characters are and stuff. So I, lo- yeah, I, I lo- used to I worry about that point. myself, like uh, how to fix things on the fly. Cause I speak in very staccato sort of mm-hmm. way of speaking. And eventually I just realized that most people kind of ignore that when you're having a conversation, it was just me being very self-aware mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, even if you mess up, it's usually just, you know, misspeaking or your throat's dry or whatever. Right. And uh, you just move on and people, you know, they're interested in the story. They don't care that you messed up or that's yeah. my thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially um, when it, so I, I grew Look, up. Did you mess up in this one? I didn't notice it. Uh, I mean, I, I think I flubbed a word, but I mean, there were a couple things where I'm like, oh, that's not written properly as, as I was uh, reading it. So I just removed a word or added or whatever. Uh, right. and that happens all the time. You know, I think I rely too heavily on words like auto edit feature where they'll double underline in blue if they feel like this is grammatically incorrect or red, if it's spelled incorrectly or, you know. Mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And so if I don't see that there, then I can just go, go, go. But then as I'm reading, I'm like, ah, oh, that was not right. Fix it. You know, <laughs> don't, don't say that incorrectly sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it growing up, my parents loved the, so they were always correcting us always, you know, you know, and, and the, I, I feel like the, the, the most prevalent one that I feel w- would show up everywhere. And this is not exclusive to my family, but when they're like, Hey, I want to ask you a question. Are you going to ask me? You're going to ask murder me a question, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so, it, but imagine that on like a, a grand scale, right? My right? parents were always very much sticklers for how you said things. Um, I feel like I, I carry some of that with me. You know, as I'm like creating things or writing or even talking when I'm talking to people, I'm always trying to correct 
myself, you know, um, as I'm talking and there'll be even times where I'll say something and I'll end a sentence with a preposition and then I'll stop and go back and say it again, like change the sentence to say it without ending in a preposition, you know? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those, one of those things. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, I see you when you're saying how like you're super aware of your own staccato, you know, type of, talking and stuff yes i too i too suffer from super self-awareness as i'm speaking you know do you have do you have the sometimes i'll have the sentence the whole sentence laid out before i say it to just to make sure as i'm going through i'm like watching okay yeah you're good oh yeah i'll I'll do that a lot and i'll also you know one of those days i may not you know be medicated or just not focused enough. Mm-hmm. I'll have that sentence already figured out in my mind. And then I forget it about halfway through. It's a really long one. So then you'll see me like go, and uh, I'm just done. I'm, I'm still stop there. <laughs> the, the end. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and that's my biggest problem with um, public debate. I always wanted to do debate. Mm. And I realized I'm very good at doing, uh, you know, just written debate and Mm -hmm. writing something back and forth because I can think about it and I can put the time. But when it's like, I forget everything I was going to say sometimes right in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I have all these great ideas and this is why you should, you know, believe in, you know, my stance. Here they are. And then it's like pop tarts. Right. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) yep. 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 Oh man. Oh my gosh. I, I had, I had an edible once and I remember like almost having an out of body experience as I was talking, just like I'm talking and then I, I'm, I don't know that I'm talking. I'm just like in the, I could like come to in the middle of a sentence and I hear my voice and I'm like, I don't have any idea what's happening. So I'll like stop and say, I just want you to know, I don't know what I was saying and I have no idea where I am in this sense, in this conversation. I'm sorry. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a similar experience with something really powerful like that. And it's it's one of those things where everyone's having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I started to think, did I say anything yet? Are they <laughs> expecting me to say something? Right yes. Now? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, or did I already say it? And they're waiting to say yep. something else to me. And it's, yeah. Yeah. They get that moment where they're looking experience. at you and you're like, is it, is it my turn? It's my turn to say <laughs> something. Uh, what? <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I've had some D and D experiences like that too, playing with players and they're Mm -hmm. just like, you know, doing something else. And that's all, especially at zoom. Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of my other campaigns, uh, I had one guy on there and he's, Oh, is it, is it for me? Or did, did I do anything yet? (laughs) And it's like, ah, yeah. 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 You're gonna, you're gonna gonna do something. (laughs) Yeah. If you're gonna share, if you weren't on zoom, maybe you'd share with us, but uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh man. So I I can totally connect with being in that moment, heat of the moment, you're saying something and then it's like uh I don't know where I was going with that. So this is where we're stopping. The end. But that's also where I think that uh despite just very little training in it that I really got good at improv. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you would forget what you needed to say, it's like, well, I'm going to have to make up something. Yep. You know, especially if it's something important, like if it's mm-hmm. just talking with your friends, you can kind of trail off like right. that. But, you know, when I've done pitches or things like that, it's like, you better invent something if you what? forgot what you're going to say. Yeah. 
So, oh, you know, man. I do that quite a bit. And um, I think that's where I've developed some pretty good improv chops. It's just, well, okay, so I have no idea what I'm going to say next. So, okay, let's just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I can dig that. I can dig that. Oh, man. Do, do an improv. So um, I did a little bit of improv. That what if we're being honest, it wasn't really improv. I mean, mm-hmm. when I, when I was in college, uh, I put on a show with some friends, and we did like a we played a few of those games from Whose Line, um, yeah. Whose Line is it anyway? But we did a thing once where there were three of us, and we pretended to be a a, a British band called Sailboat, and we advertised it, and we said, "Hey, we're gonna have a free show." This British band is coming all the way from London to play at this tiny college in Texas. You know, we got a bunch of people to come and they were very excited. And we literally would just play just maybe like one half of a verse or something like that of a song and then stop. And we were improving everything, even the song, all the music was all improv too. And we were just like, oh, that's just, you know, a taste. That's what you get for a free show. If you want to hear the whole song, maybe you buy a ticket. Yeah. You put some money in a pocket and we'll play the whole, you know, all of that. And so we were going on and on. And so that was like my improv experience, pretending to be a music, a British musician playing. a. <laughs> and then, so I come, when I decided to start acting, I put down that I had improv experience because in my stupid brain I did. So then I would have uh, a lot of auditions, you know, and yeah. it would, they're like, all right, now we're just going to play with it. Just, you know, do what you want, that sort of thing. And I would get, I would start going and then I would just get lost. Cause I'm like, oh, what was I even saying? What are we talking about? It was just, <laughs> what's happening right now? You know? So, uh, but I mean, since that was like early on, since then, I feel like I have honed it beautifully now. And I mean, I went through, uh, some long form courses, so I feel very comfortable in any improv situation now, but holy smokes. In those early years, I got to write you out to your listeners, by the way, I got to write you out to your <laughs> listeners that uh, okay. uh, the voice that I just heard was the voice of dragonborn Elton John from our uh, D&D <laughs> campaigns, because it sounded so much like this character. Yeah. Uh, at, at one point in our campaign, he's disguised as a in, entertainment in this uh, mm-hmm. decadent party. Mm-hmm. And uh, this voice is dragonborn Elton John that you've just heard. And yeah, it sure was. It sure was. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I, I hearkened back to that British band sailboat and I took the voice of that <laughs> character and he became Elton John. <laughs> and that, that's great. Oh man. Uh, yeah. So, but I, I totally understand. And unless it like, even in the sh- performing in the shows that I did, the improv shows, unless I was constantly listening to every word that was being said, when I was like off stage, I would a hundred percent just enjoy watching and then be like lost. Like, Oh my oh, God, yeah. what are we doing? What are we doing? You know, this was just so much fun to watch for these moments that I'm, I've, to- I've disconnected myself, you know, like there's two sides of your brain and you're using that side. That's just the, the viewer and enjoying it. And you forget that you're, you know, having to build this mathematical equation in your head of what mm-hmm. you're going to do next. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I've done that too. It's yeah. Sometimes it's difficult to do both. It's yeah. like, you know, you lose a little of the enjoyment while you're trying to cipher what you should do next. Yep. <laughs> yep. You are correct. My friend, you are correct. Oh my gosh. 
It's good times though. Good times. Um, so was there anything else about the story that popped in your brain that you're like, Oh, I like that, but we haven't hit on it yet. Or do you think we've, we've hit the major things that kind of spoke to you about it? Uh, the organizing things was, it was pretty interesting. Um, it was, I actually did have a, a will to organize things. I never really had the willpower to do it, mm-hmm. but it was interesting to see the character or, you know, other RD do that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, it, it's funny that you, you kind of picked up on that in some way that I, you know, did have that sort of want or need for the, uh, some way to organize or make sense of my yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it, I think it, that was a nice metaphor. Yeah. I think it comes down to, you know, when things are confusing or you feel out of control, we try and organize stuff because like, okay, now this makes sense. If I can just I can see, control this. Yes, I can control this little bit. It makes sense. I'm gonna be okay. You know? Yeah. So I, I just figured that, especially with with somebody who, if at the time, you know, losing focus was a thing that happened on like yeah. even a semi-regular basis, just being able to come back down to if I can get the papers here and the tissue box here and these instruments here. Okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the um, one thing I can control. I like that. Yeah. That was, that was a nice metaphor for seeking that control in mm-hmm. life. Right on. Yeah. Good, man. Good. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to put some stuff down that you were able to connect with. It feels good. Yeah. It was it feels good. fun story as well. I enjoyed it. Right on. Good. Good. I, I had a whole lot of fun imagining your out of body experience. I gotta be honest. Yeah. And so like when we were talking the first time, I even wrote down a note, like swirling ideas, right? So I had an image of kind of what you might experience at some point. So it was fun finding a way to get that written in, you know, just so in my head, I can take this image of tiny RD sitting down with all of that stuff kind of swirling and the room going black and white for a moment as it like drew all the color up and out. So, yeah, and it was almost, uh, cause I also, I also use metaphors of, uh, water to think about thought mm-hmm. and about swimming through a sea of ideas and mm-hmm. uh i imagined when i in my head it was like that whirlpool of uh mm. ideas just yeah. moving away from me and i was almost losing them and trying to pull them back in some yeah. way and uh, I, I definitely like that and i used or i thought about it as a metaphor of water in some mm. way nice rd the waterbender woo woo yeah <laughs> Sweet, man. Sweet. Cool beans. Um, anything else that you, you got that you want to holler at or you feeling good? I feel good, man. Cool beans. Cool beans. So with that, my friends, we will go ahead and bring other RD to a close. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, RD. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Again, if you'd like to follow him, check him out on Instagram at RD hall or no, I lied. Uh, Twitter is at RD hall. Instagram is at RD hall two. That's the number two. Um, yeah. And follow him. Keep track of the things that he's got going on. He, uh, look him up and read his, his stuff that he's already done. Some of his comic works and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, for, for me, I'm D for, the real actual rd um thanks for being here come back next week for another episode of other you bye-bye